This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. What I want to talk about this morning, um, well, you can see on the, on, the, on, on the screen. At some point in the last two weeks, and I'm not exactly sure when, marked the 25th anniversary of me first becoming an elder. As I realized that that date was coming up, I realized there ought to be some things that I should have learned in that time that might be worth sharing. So, so first of all, a uh, quick vote. Flickering screen or no screen? Oh, that's, that, was, that, was, that, was a, that was a very, very even split. We'll stick with, we'll stick with the screen, but you can, if you prefer, you can look at me. Okay, I'm going to begin, you by, begin by reading a few familiar passages about eldership. And then I came up with 25 points, because I thought, if I have 25 points, it doesn't give me any time to talk about each one of them, and it stops me being too long. Let's see if that's true. Um, but yeah, I thought, well, I, I really ought to have learned something. I really ought to have something to say. And in some respects, it's just a bit of a random collection of thoughts, but I, I trust that some of it blesses you. Um, so, first of all, we're going to start in Acts, where Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, from verse, chapter 20, verse 27. I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is his kind of farewell speech to them. He, he believes he's not going to see them again. I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy 3. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read all of the relevant scriptures and, uh, and then just make my, my comments rather than kind of dig, going to the scripture every, for every uh, point. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to, aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but uh, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner that is worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. Paul says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And finally, 1 Peter 5 verses 1 to 4 to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will, be, who will share in the glory to be revealed be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them not because you must but because you are willing as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Okay. So my first point is this. Things I've discovered in 25 years of eldership. The first one is this. Eldership is a noble task. That's what Paul says in Timothy. I looked up noble. And it says this. Beautiful to look at, shapely and magnificent. I thought that sounds like me. And then I realized it's not the elders that are supposed to be noble, it's the task. And so I read on a little bit further, and it also means honorable, good, excellent. It is a wonderful, glorious privilege to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ, and especially among this group of people. It is a noble task. The second thing, see, I'm on to point two already. Go me. Eldership is fatherhood it's one of the things i've discovered eldership is fatherhood have you ever wondered why when it comes to gifts of the spirit there's no distinction between men and women in fact acts 2 makes that really explicitly clear when it comes to the ascension gifts of ephesians 4 we appear to find men and women carrying those gifts in the new testament but when it comes to elders it says elders are men why is that because i believe eldership is patterned on the fatherhood of god you get, the, you get the ministries of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit, but this is the one that's patterned. And, and, and I believe some, some, uh, some apostolic ministries as well are patterned on fatherhood. Paul talks that way. Perhaps not all. But elders are fathers. They are fathers in the house. That really helps me understand how I relate to people. And it's one of the things that's become clearer the older I've got. And actually, it's much easier to be a father to someone who's the age of your children. It's one of the blessings of getting old. That I look around and actually, in a, obviously in, in a kind of slightly, you know, slightly sad way from a natural perspective, I look around and think, man, I'm old enough to be most of your fathers. Uh, but actually, from a spiritual point of view, it's, it, it, really, it's a, it brings an ease to that relationship. And for that reason, I believe that we need elderly elders as well as youthful elders. Yeah? This is uh, um, Proverbs 20, verse 29 says this, The glory of young, man is, young men is their strength, and gray hair is the splendor of the old. 
And it's one of the things, we're not, I know we're not supposed to envy, but it is one of the things that I am envious of Chris Hamer Hodges. It was always my ambition to, grow, to go grey before I went bald. And it didn't happen. Strength is the glory of young men and grey hair is the splendour of the old. You know, there is, that we need that across the range. And I'm, I'm very pleased that we have, well, let's put it, that we have an older elder than me and a younger elder than me. That's all I'm going to say about those ages. I turned 53 yesterday. I want to thank my friend Chris, who was convinced I was only 51. Makes up from the person that wrote in the card, congratulations on your 54th birthday. <laughs> 54 is a good year, isn't it, Jeff? You still remember it? <laughs> Sorry, you're still enjoying it. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> number three, there is a profound wisdom in team ministry. God's intention is that eldership is always in plurality. Let me just name the men that I have been fellow elders with over the years. Tony Ling, Charles Smith, David Lyon, Julian Bowden, Chris Alton, Richard Jones, Steve Peake, Paul Sheffield, Ben McCosker. And I am so grateful to God for the shared task I've had with those men. There is, I'm not going to go into all the wisdom of God there is in that. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. It means that no one person ever carries the full, the full load. There is always a share. Yeah? And one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. There's a synergy in team. There's also an accountability that is protective of both elders and the flock in their care. Authority and rule and government doesn't sit in one place. It sits corporately. God himself works as a team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an oversimplification, but it can be helpful to understand how God works as Trinity. And some people say this, the Father thought it, the Son said it, the Spirit did it. It's an oversimplification, but it can be helpful. It shows that they're all entirely involved. Roger Aubrey says the phrase, I'm sure it isn't his, but he's the one that taught it to me, all of God does all that God does. Okay, so we have one God in three persons. We're dealing with mystery, so it always becomes quite difficult to understand. But God himself works as a team. And rule in scripture is always exercised in plurality. The first thing we find about the commission of humanity to rule on God's behalf is in, one, is in Genesis 1.26. And it says, let them rule. Let them rule. Okay? There is profound wisdom in team ministry. Number four, you've heard me say this, I'm sure, before, but the exercising of eldership authority is 5% constraining and 95% releasing. Okay? 5% constraining, 95% releasing. What do I mean by that? I mean that elders are not here to stop you doing lots of things. Elders are not here to tell you what to do. Elders are not here to come up with a plan and have this big organizational chart and then try and fill people, fit people into where they, where they can serve the this grand idea that the elders have had. The model for this is Jesus, by the way, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He said, therefore, go. He didn't say, therefore, I've got a sign-up sheet for this, or therefore, I've got this, I've got this, uh, you know, I've got this rotor that I need filling, 
or I'm going to tell you, each of you, exactly what to do down to the final detail. If Jesus doesn't do that, if he just says go, then we, we, don't, need to, <laughs> we don't need to lead by micromanaging. It's, it's 5% constraining because that's for our good. And I'm speaking here not from experience of doing this so much as experience of experiencing it. I am so grateful for the times that I have been constrained by authority. I've been constrained by those whose lives uh, my life is submitted to. Because it has always, always done me good. And if you're wondering about what might that look like, it usually, in my experience, looks like this. Someone comes along and says... I want to do this thing. God's put this thing in my heart. I want to do this thing. And the person who's overseeing that life or the team of people that are overseeing that life go, if you do that now, in the place you're at in life and your own development and preparedness, it's not going to go well. So don't do it now. Don't do it yet. that's, That's usually what constraining looks like. Because actually, if it's a matter of sin, then everyone should be <laughs> challenging you, yeah? If you're, if you're, if you're, if, if, if you're, if you're living in, in a sinful manner, you shouldn't need to wait for the elders to come around. Every believer you meet is going to go, hey, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, because we are our brother's keepers. But there's a wisdom sometimes, and, and like I say, I've been the recipient of that many, many times. And still am right now. And you know what? It's a great blessing because 95% of the way that authority works towards us is releasing. And just even in that phrase, I think that for me, this helps me understand how authority works in the church and how authority works in the kingdom is to use the phrase authority towards rather than authority over. Yeah? In Hebrews 13:17, when it talks about your leaders being over you, the idea is that they are watching over you, not that they are ruling over you. Okay? We don't rule, we rule ourselves, we don't rule over one another. Okay, that's not, that's not in God's creative order, that's not in God's redemptive order. Now, sometimes the translations become a little confusing, because sometimes this idea of rule is a translation of a word that more means management, facilitation, make, put it, having things in right order. And in that kind of rule, absolutely, there's a rule in the church. But a rule as in you must do this and you must not do that... I don't find that in the scripture. What I find is a watching over. What I find is an authority that, that, that is predisposed to seeing people released into things, but sometimes has a wisdom to, to constrain in order to do people good. Watch over. And of course, that's why elders are called overseers. The two terms in the New Testament are entirely synonymous. One, if you like, is an, as a position or an office. One is a description of function. To oversee, to watch over. Number five, all churches should have a team of elders. It is the New Testament pattern, and I believe it is God's intention for every generation of the church. I do not believe that eldership is just another model of church leadership among many that are all equally valid. I believe that we need to be patterning our, the way we do church, the way we organize church, and the way we lead church on what we find in the New Testament. I'm going to expand on that in a later point. Number six, elderships don't make decisions by majority voting, but by wholehearted agreement, having found the mind of God. Elderships don't make decisions by majority voting. There isn't any democracy 
in the church. Neither is there uh, dictatorship, but there is a wonderful ability by the leading of the Spirit and the revelation of the Word of God to come to a place of wholehearted agreement. Numbers, I should say, by the way, some of these statements are things that I'm saying to elders, and some of them are things I'm saying to me, some of the things I'm saying to the whole church. They're, they're, they're kind of, it's, it's all a little bit random like that, but this is, just how, this is just how things came to me. All churches should have leaders and ministries who are not elders. That's number seven. All churches should have leaders and ministries that are not elders. One of the mistakes, I think, that we made as a movement of churches in rediscovering the idea of plurality of eldership in churches is it became, unintentionally, it became the only model for leadership in the church. And that's something that I think in more recent years uh, many have sought to bring a corrective to. Because all churches should have leaders and ministries who are not elders. Eldership is not the sum total of leadership and ministry in the church. Sometimes making a gifted leader or ministry an elder can diminish their effectiveness. Um, It may demand something of them they don't have the grace for. And neither is eldership a part of a ministry career progression. Okay? And um, one of the consequences... Of, see, of loading too much of our expectation on what leadership in the ministry and ministry in the church looks like onto elders is it removes space for women that God has gifted and anointed in leadership and ministry. But if you draw the circle in tighter around the elders, you suddenly create a lot more space for both women and men. Okay? And that's, uh, that's something that, um, some, certainly something I have learned over the last years, and I'm... Uh, Trusting God that I will be part of how we can model something different to what we have done in the past. It's a wonderful thing when God establishes a truth in your life and then shows you something more without you having to throw away the truth that's been established. Yeah, when, when you grow in revelation, sometimes you realize you, you believe things that weren't true and you obviously have to get rid of them. And other times you realize you believe things that were true, but you hadn't seen the full picture. And, uh, and I trust that's how we build. I trust that's how I've been building in my life as well. Though I've, 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 you know, it's not kind of let's throw everything out. It's actually let's see, let's see the bigger picture. And let's see what God has in his infinite wisdom for us. Number eight. The church isn't led by elders. It's led by the Holy Spirit. Elders need to ensure that this is always a reality. Okay. Church isn't led by elders. I like to say that sometimes when I'm kind of doing leaders' conferences and stuff. I just like to say something that people make, make people think, oh, no, what's he going to say now? But it's led by the Holy Spirit, and I don't think anyone can disagree with that. But it helps me frame what my role as an elder is. It's to ensure that, this, that everyone in this church and the church as a community is being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what we want to be doing. Number nine, the Holy Spirit makes us overseers. That was Acts 20, 28. The Holy Spirit makes us overseers. Never try to go on in the flesh something that starts in the spirit. This is true for all of us, not just for elders. Don't try to continue something in the flesh that started in the spirit. That's the whole kind of message of the book of Galatians. Um, Here's the thing. The task of eldership and all kingdom business 
can only be done in the spirit. Okay? The moment we try to use anything human to achieve the purposes of God, we're building with wood, hay, and stubble, and it's worthless. We talked about, I talked about that a few weeks ago, about building for eternity. Number 10. Eldership should be exercised from a shepherd's heart. I have to say, when I was a young man and first an elder, I'm not sure I was much of a shepherd. Or if I was, I was the kind of, you know, that bit of shepherding where it's kind of like herding to make sure the sheep all get to the right place. But as I've grown older, I've become to a greater realization that effective eldership comes from a shepherd's heart. Of those that really, really care for the sheep. Number 11. An elder's wife has a full share in her husband's calling and task. An elder's wife has a full share in her husband's calling and task. That must be so because they are equally yoked. And in that the fact that the proof, one of the proofs of an elder's qualification is what his household looks like. And for any of you that are married, I won't ask you to put a number on it, but I think you would all agree, men, that your wives are at least 50% of defining what your household is like. Okay? Again, lots of nods. Not going to choose to put any more numbers on it. But that's the reality. Okay? A wife, the elder's wife, is not part of the government of the church, but she shares fully in the task and calling of her husband. They are equally yoked. And I've also seen many times in the past, and this goes back to why some people may be wonderfully gifted, be wonderful leaders, but it's best for them not to be elders. And one of the reasons might be the wife doesn't really want to be part of that. You know what? That's not a problem. It's not a problem to God because he has plenty of other opportunities. Her calling might be something entirely different. Her calling may be out there in the world. She doesn't have the time or the capacity to be thinking about things in the church. Not a problem to God. Yeah? Because for, but for elders, their wives will... Share in that calling and task. I know for one, I could not be an elder without being married. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't be an elder without being married to the person I'm married to. One of the things that I learned, I was, when I was 24 or 25, I'd, um, I'd given up dating for about four years. Now that sounds kind of big and brave. To be honest, there wasn't a huge amount, there wasn't a huge demand for... But I'd realized that the next person that I dated needed to be the woman I was going to marry. And I was, I was getting more drawn into um, pastoral ministry in the church. I was asked, I'd been asked to take on a large, where were we, early 90s, 
home group probably by then. <laughs> All the, the names of midweek groups change over the decades. Anyway, I've been asked to take on this group. So the couple that have been leading it, the, 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 the man was unwell and they needed someone else to step in. And, and, uh, and I stepped in. And, and I realized most of the people I was, most of the people I was leading in this group were, were much older, well, at least some were older than me, some were much older than me. And there was just this realization, in order for the next kind of phase of, of what God has, the calling God has on my life, I need to be married. And it wasn't, I couldn't even tell you necessarily what the, why that was and what those things, what those things included, but I, I knew that was the case. And... Um, and I went to, um, and I was just, I was just about to go and uh, do my teacher training. And I'd been led to believe that that would be a busy and demanding course. Uh, turned out that due to some changes the government had made, which was insisting that two-thirds of student, student teachers' time was spent in schools, uh, but actually not telling anyone what they should be doing. I actually spent a large amount of that year just sitting around in staff rooms drinking coffee. So it wasn't a particularly demanding year. But I thought it was going to be a demanding year. And I'd been, off, I'd been, off to, I'd been on a, a weekend away that was called a Zealots Weekend. Wow. And uh, at the end of that weekend, um, the, the, the folk that are leading it would say, anyone that's here, if you would like to sit down with some of the some of the leaders here, we will arrange that over the next few weeks and just share where you're at and, you know, let them speak into your lives. And I sat down with, with two men who, uh, so one, of, one of whom many of you will know, the other some of you will know, Brian Shutt and Alan Scotland. And they were just asking, where are you, where are you at, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm off, you know, just off to do my teacher training. And, the, and, um, and Alan Scotland said to me, he said, and what about... What about a, a girlfriend or a, you know, is there, is there anyone? I said, no, and I think that not at the moment. And I, you know, uh, I know I'm going to, so it's a very busy year this year, so I'm not sure that this would be the right time. And he just looked at me with a little kind of prophet's throwaway line and said, well, don't rule it out. <laughs> so uh, a few weeks after that, Ruth and I met. And a few months after that, we got engaged. And a few months after that, we got married. And that was in the timing of God. And probably only 18 months after that, I first became an elder. Um, but I knew, not necessary for eldership, I knew that God needed me to be married to the right person. And she still is the right person. Hello. Just arrived at the perfect time. Number 12, the reason your household is proof of your qualification for eldership is that the church you oversee will look how your home looks. That's both a scary and a wonderful thing. It's an awesome and a wonderful thing. Um, but it's also just a, a, a spiritual law. It's just a law of the spirit. You can't produce something in one context and something different in another context. What, is, what, is the, what does the scripture say? Is it James? He says you can't have fresh water and salt water coming out of the same mouth. Yeah, you, you are one person. What you produce, you will produce wherever you go. I remember sitting in Bible school back in 1993, 94, and uh, there's a man called Carl Ropp, who actually for a while was our pastor. Wonderful, wonderful man. He and his wife still travel regularly to India. They must be in their 80s now. And uh, he came into our Bible school class to talk to us about India. And uh, the, he, one, he said the first, the first thing he told us was this. He said, if you travel, you will be the same person where you go that you were when you were at home. 
which is one of the most helpful pieces of, well, not just advice, of wisdom that I think a young group of men and women who wanted to serve the Lord could possibly hear. You will not be someone else when you stand up to preach. You will not be someone else when you go to another country. You will not be someone else in church to who you are at home. And, and like produces like. Yeah, like produces like. Number 13, good elders listen to their wives. Just uh, Charlotte in the room. Charlotte, just when you're watching back, good elders listen to their wives. Good elderships listen to all their wives. And there are some decisions in the church and some kinds of decisions and some areas where decisions need to be made, where the wisdom needed is found in the hearts and minds of women. I believe that in the church and in the gifts and callings of God, the vast majority of things are gender is not an issue. But there are some areas of wisdom and insight that God seems to hide that wisdom in the hearts of ladies. And um, in my experience, they're very happy to get it out of their heart and into your ear. Hmm? If you will listen. Sometimes say of my mother, she never knowingly didn't share her opinion. And usually that's a good thing, by the way. But good elders and good elderships listen to their wives. Number 14. Elders don't need thick skin. They just need dead flesh. People say this about leadership sometimes. You need thick skin. I don't believe that. I don't want to, be, I don't want to build up calluses that block me from feeling or that leave me unaffected. Because the people that are going to hurt you are the people that are hurting. And I want to feel that. And if your flesh is dead, well, what can anyone do? Yeah? I've died to this world. I've been crucified to this world. If I don't live that way, Christ can't live in me. Sula was sharing. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yeah? You can't get to that life in Christ without the, without the flesh dying. Yeah? So embrace death every day so that you can live the life of Christ. But I don't want thick skin. I just need dead flesh. Number 15, overseers need overseers and shepherds need shepherds. Overseers need overseers, shepherds need shepherds. We all need what God provides. And God in his infinite wisdom gives us a way of working that means first of all i have two shepherds paul and ben in fact the only shepherds i don't have that you have is me and even then i think i probably still have me but then we have particularly an apostle who oversees us kerry jones but he's not a one man at the top of a pyramid he works with a team of men and women, different ministries. You know, there is, there is never a time for any of us, whether we're in leadership or not, where there is no one that we can go to and find the heart of a shepherd. 
Number 16, gifts and callings are irrevocable, positions are seasonal. Gifts and callings are irrevocable, positions are seasonal. There is no shame in laying down a position. In fact, there's foolishness in not laying down a position if God is calling you to something else, even just a different emphasis, not necessarily even a different place or a different time or a different way of ministering. Number 17, relationships, or we could say joinings, are the church's only true structure. That's something I've learned and something that we really seek to practice here. Number 18, elders are not advisors, they are counsellors. Joel is an advisor. He's wonderful at it. He gives you all the information. He shares his wisdom experience. And he helps lead you to a place where you can make an informed decision. Eldership isn't the same. Yeah? You can get that from anyone in the body. You can find wisdom in that. Eldership isn't the same. Elders are counsellors. And so are many other people if, they are, if that's how the Holy Spirit is using them to speak to you. And the difference is this. If you will receive it, the counsel of the elders will be the word of the Lord to you. If you will receive it, the counsel of the elders will be the word of the Lord to you. And I've sometimes heard the wisdom and counsel of God from men and women where they didn't even know that's what they were giving me. But something in the Holy Spirit goes, that's the word of the Lord to you. This isn't just advice, this is counsel. Number 19. Submission or obedience to leaders guarantees blessing. And again, this is something I've learned much more as a recipient, <laughs> much more as the, as the one submitting my life to someone else. It guarantees blessing. You know, when we honor God's ways, when we honor the, those that God has put in positions of oversight and care to us, we are guaranteed blessing. Here's the thing, even if they get it wrong. Yeah? And that doesn't give license for people to be kind of, you know, slapdash with the counsel they give. But I will be blessed if I submit myself to those that God has put over me in that oversight way in the Lord. I will be, I cannot fail to be blessed. And, um, yeah, let's move on. 20. You can only oversee people you can see. You can only oversee people you can see. This isn't particularly a comment to you at home. Because <laughs> I know all I can see is a camera. Drop me a little message in the comments underneath so that I can see you there. Um, so first of all, elders must continually be among the people. Elders must continually be among the people. Large churches need structures that facilitate close relationships between every member and local elders, and local, I'm kind of putting in inverted commas, but even as churches grow, everyone needs to know that there is a team of elders, not just one, but there is, a, there is a team of elders that I have direct access to, that I know and they know me. In a church of thousands, it's not going to be all the elders and all the people, but there need to be structures because that is how shepherding works. Everyone needs to be seen. Everyone needs to be heard. 
21, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Sometimes you find, well, if they won't hear you, they're not your sheep. And sometimes you've got to tell them. I can think of two occasions where I've said to someone after months and perhaps even years, bringing them counsel, of them saying yes and going and doing the opposite, of bringing that before them, pointing that out, of saying, the truth is, I'm not your elder. Because if you were one of my sheep, you would hear my voice. I didn't necessarily use that phrase, that's Jesus' phrase. And my, my counsel to you would be go and find a church where you can listen to the leaders and do what they say. So I, I, there have been a couple of occasions when I've needed to do that. But, and you know, sometimes... Sometimes people arrive, don't they? Sometimes people come into the church from another local church. One of the things that happens in Coventry is, is that nearly always, uh, because we've got a lot of kind of close relationships between the leaders, um, you know, someone picks up the phone and gives you a, gives you a call. And I've said, to some, I've said to people on more than one occasion, if you have the grace to help this person where I didn't, then God bless them and God bless you. <laughs> yeah, he sets... He sets the lonely in families. The God has a place for everyone. Okay? My sheep hear my voice. And that's not a kind of like, you know, the first time you don't fully agree with everything I say, I'll go, well, obviously you don't belong here. That's, you know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You know that. But sometimes, well, if you don't hear me, if you don't hear us, we can't be a shepherd to you. 22, elders are stewards of God's house and they carry a weight of prayer and concern. In Exodus 28, you get the description of the high priest's garment. And on the high priest's garment, there's a stone on each shoulder and each one has uh, the names of six tribes. And then on the breastplate, there's, an in, there's a stone with each of the tribes. And it tells you that this is so that when the high priest goes into the presence of God, when God looks down from heaven, what he sees the high priest doing is carrying the names of God's people before him in prayer. And it also reminds the high priest that whatever comes out of his heart has got to go through, if you like, the filter of his care for God's people. And I believe there's a measure of that in eldership that we carry, we put something on, and there's a weight to it. Not a crushing weight, but enough weight to realize you're wearing it. That is to bear God's people before him in prayer, and in all that you do, to say, they're over my heart, they're on my heart. Everything I do is done through this care for God's people. 23. Sometimes there isn't an obvious answer to everything in the scripture which is why the church needs ways to make authoritative judgments there are three ways that I find in scripture one is the whole church agrees Jesus talks about that when he says bring the thing bring the matter before the church there's agreement from the whole church um, sometimes the whole church doesn't agree and you have in, Cor in Corinthians and Paul sends an apostolic directive but then within the local church, there are many, there, not many, but there are occasionally matters 
where you can't go to the scripture. And I won't give you many details of the example, but many years ago, there was a very complex question around a couple who'd been divorced from other people, whether they'd been walking with the Lord at the time, all this, and then wanted to, and, they, and they'd come back to the Lord. They were living together, and they wanted to marry. They came to the elders and said, "Can we marry?" And you can go and look for every scripture on divorce and remarriage in, this, in the Bible, and their situation is not there. You know what? That's one of the reasons there are elders, because they can make an authoritative judgment. And the judgment was, we believe not only can you marry, but you should marry, and as quickly as possible. Okay? So God provides a way, not, with, not to the exclusion of scripture, but taking the, the weight of scripture and saying, I can't find chapter and verse for this. But we actually, it, does, it, we, it doesn't leave us um, impotent. It doesn't leave us unable to move forward because God has invested in elderships and local churches uh, an authority to bring a rule or a judgment into situations that brings resolve and brings, brings life. 24. The word of God, the scriptures, is the primary tool for elders, first of all, in watching over your own life. Watch over your own lives, Paul says to the Ephesians. This watch is over. I sit under this. Yeah, this brings the rule, the judgment of God to me. Okay. Secondly, for refuting error. And do you know that most of the error I find in the church is not bad doctrine? It's unbelief. We, I, I, I mean, it's very, it's very rare that you have to sit down with someone and say, now, on this matter of doctrine, I need to show you why you're a heretic. But it's very common to sit down with someone and they tell you their situation and you say, well, this is what the word says about that. And the issue is they're struggling to believe that. Yeah? That's, that's, that's much more common. But that's why, the, that's why this is the number one tool that we have as, as elders, the number one tool Chris has as a teacher. Yeah? Because here's, here's life. Here's life. And it's the primary tool for speaking words of life. You've heard me say this before, but it's something I often do when I go to meet with people in any situation, particularly if it's a challenging one, but any situation, I pray, Jesus, give me words of eternal life. Give me words of life to speak. It was, what, it was, the, it was the one reason the disciples didn't leave him when he talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. They said, we can't go because you've got the words of eternal life, even if you say some gross things that make everyone angry with you. <laughs> even if we're getting a hard time from the people around us because we're following you. You have words of eternal life. When you speak, life comes into us. That's not just true. A lot of these things are not just true for elders. That one in particular, every one of you. Make that your prayer. Lord, give me words of eternal life. Let life be, a let me leave a deposit of life in every conversation I have with people. And finally, number 25. Hospitality is a gateway gift. You open your life to people, they open their lives to you and to Jesus. And I thought a little bit, not, I couldn't, can't say I thought long and hard, I thought a little bit about where I would finish this, what would be number 25. And I just want to say, 
in my thinking, this is in, by no means an anticlimax. It, it, it is one of the character, it was one of the qualifications that, that, that Paul gives for eldership. But I, I have found it is one of the most powerful tools that God gives us or gifts. It's a, it's a gift of the spirit apart from everything else. Gifts that he gives us in order to care for his people is hospitality. And hospitality, first of all, is opening your life. It may then also probably be opening your home. And it's certainly giving your time. But it's an attitude of openness that says, this is who I am. And this is what I've got. And you find that when you do that, other people open their lives to you. And when they open their lives to you, they open their lives to Jesus. Because they open their lives to the word that you're going to speak to them. They open their lives to the anointing of the spirit that you're carrying. To the love and the care and the compassion. The healing, the power. The presence of God. So, thank you for bearing with me. I hope that was something more than just kind of like a little indulgence for me. But I do feel like I've, I've made some progress and I've learned a few things on the way. And I want to say thank you again. In fact, we didn't read this scripture. Let me just read this scripture. I've said this before, but there's probably some people that weren't around when I said it. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. And I'm looking over this way because I can see both my fellow elders. With all my heart I can say that being an elder in this house is a joy and not a burden. Okay, I've got two amens. Yes. But I mean that with all my heart, and I know we all mean that. I know I didn't need to ask them, but I knew that was true. Uh, you, you are a joy and not a burden to lead, to care for, and to see released in all that God has. And one of the reasons for sharing this is partly looking back over 25 years, but when I did this, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, there's 25 more years. I don't know whether that's as an elder. Otherwise, I really would be an elderly elder. But definitely another 25 years of ministry and an opportunity to learn from this. And this is not an exhaustive list. Um, but these are things that I hope are established as part of our ethos and as part of our um, character as a church um, as, a, as a, a truer reflection as we are capable of making of the grace that God has shown to us so I want to say God bless you and I'm just going to pray that blessing on us Lord I want to thank you that each one of us is called each one of us is chosen. Each one of us is equipped. Each one of us is anointed as ministers of the gospel, as ambassadors of heaven, 
as extenders of the kingdom, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as warriors in your army, as leaders in this world. And Lord, I ask that even today we will take all that you've said to us by your spirit, all that has been shared from the word, and we would allow it to invigorate and stir us to action, to see your kingdom extended, to see our lives more and more molded and shaped for your purpose and your glory, and to see, Lord, the great joy of the fruit of the gospel in our lives and through the lives that we touch. For the glory of your name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.